You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. All right, everybody, welcome to the third season of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and you can follow me on social media at TWTerryPod. Man, guys, is it good to be back. I know it's been a little while since the end of season two, but God's timing is perfect, and he's been opening up amazing doors for me to interview people from all across America for this season. And we're going to start off with just a simple guy from Alabama with the gift of gab. God is using him as an influential voice in mental health awareness, and he recently put on the Choose to Live Suicide Prevention YouTube stream. He opens up about his own battle with suicidal thoughts, anxiety, and panic attacks, and more importantly, how Jesus has been carrying him through it all. And you guys are going to be inspired by hearing how he's living out his dream of working in the faith-based music and entertainment industry to promote all sorts of artists' expressions of what Christ has done in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Trevor Tyson's testimony. All right, guys, I am here with the host of the Trevor Talks podcast, Trevor Tyson. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, Terry. This is going to be fun. We're excited. We got some energy going this afternoon. Yes, very much so. And from the looks of it, your audience is quite energetic at all times. So I'm just excited to have the opportunity (laughs) to speak with you and everyone else joining us. Yeah, let's do it, man. So we were just talking before we pushed the record button that I had saw you on the Ryan Reese show, uh, just kind of sharing some of your story and your testimony. And even before that, I forgot to mention, I follow Lacey Sturm, Corey Cooper on social media, and I had saw that they had did like a joint interview and you were the one who did the joint interview. And so I checked out your stuff. I'm just like, man, I got to talk to this guy. And so reached out and you were gracious enough to accept the invitation. So I'm uh, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to hear your story. Dude, I'm excited to be here. And it's funny that you bring up the interview with Lacey and Corey, because it's one of those things where that just doesn't happen, where you have two like forces of rock conjoining a <laughs> conversation. And so even that's a whole testimony. I grew up listening to Skillet and Flyleaf. So that was a full circle moment as well. It's like crazy. And being here is just another testimony. It's like, who am I to be able to go share my story? But then I think about it and I'm like, if that's the case, then who is anybody? Because God will use the broken. He'll use anybody. So thank you for Amen. having me. Amen. Yeah, man. Well, let's get into it, Trevor. We always kind of start off the podcast with where did you grow up and what was family life like for you? Well, I grew up in a little town called Social Circle, Georgia. I'm not making it up. The town's called Social Circle, which is funny. Um, like growing up, I didn't see the irony of like people having work in social media and such. So now being from social circle, Georgia, tiny town, one stoplight still to this day. Um, it's just 
a very simple town and I love it. It's got your little square or like a main strip there. And that's really it. We just got a waffle house. It's not even open yet. So you know what? We're moving up in the world. We're progressing. I don't have to go to Monroe to get my hash brown bowl anymore. So, you know, growing up in a tiny town like that, you know, just having a cow field surrounding you and such, it's not really, I don't know. Uh, it's not normal for your kid when you don't even have Wi-Fi in the house barely to have any kind of aspirations to do anything outside of the town, right? So, yeah, just a very simple home life. Grew up with three brothers, two sets of twins, 18 months apart. Poor parents, love them. Uh, they went through the ringer with us. So it's uh, it was a pretty simple upbringing, man. Um, I started uh, struggling with my mental health around the age of 16, 17 years old. And that was very taboo around the area. So I just kind of compressed it and sucked it up for say. And now I know that's probably not the healthy way to go about things, but you know, with God's grace and his timing, that's something that I learned to conquer daily and try to help other people go through that as well. If that makes sense. I hope that answers your question. I'm like ADD to the fullest extent. So if I see a rabbit running, like I'm following it. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm used to, I'm used to running people back in, so so not a problem there. Uh, and I definitely want to touch on the mental health aspect. But backing up, you mentioned you got two sets of twin siblings. Yeah, all boys. Wow, that is crazy, dude. So where are you in the birth order? I'm the last. So I was the baby, the runt of the litter. And it's funny because all my brothers are like these big burly dudes and I'm just not. So it's great. <laughs> um, they got all the nutrients uh, in the womb. So I came out still 116 pounds and enjoy every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. What was that like being the baby of the family? You know, it had its moments and it did have its perks because, you know, being the baby is like, eh, like. Uh, I could never do any wrong. Right. But it was, you know, I don't know any other way to do life. So uh, through all the trials and all the amazing aspects of growing up, when you're the youngest, you're always having to fight for that extra attention for say. So I felt anyway, um, in their eyes, it was probably the complete opposite. Like, oh, he gets all the attention. He's the baby. But in my eyes, it was like, man, like, I've got these brothers that are state champion wrestlers and doing all these things. And I've got to find some way to measure up to that. And I can never really find that. And of course it was all in my head, but, um, you know, just typical boy stuff, uh, getting into trouble, et cetera. I was never the troublemaker out of the bunch. So I kind of learned from my brother's mistakes. So it was yeah. pretty interesting, you know? Yeah. What was it like being the only non-twin out of your siblings. Oh, so I was a twin. So there Oh, were you were. Okay. I was the last uh born out of the two sets. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, was, so I was 8 minutes older than me. <laughs> okay. So what was that like then uh being a twin, you know, sharing genetics with another person? I'm imagining you guys are identical. No, we're twins? fraternal. We're completely fraternal. Don't look alike, which was great growing up because you could say, ha, you're ugly. But if you were like identical, you couldn't do that because then you're <laughs> well, right. um, it was great. And me and my twin, like to this day, are super close. Like he actually lives with me. So like we just enjoy the company. Uh being his twin was a huge blessing for me. He was always like the defender. So 
I enjoyed, like, I'm not gonna say I enjoyed every second of it. Of course, everybody has their ups and downs, but you know, my home life as being the youngest of two sets of twins was, it was a blessing. And I can't say there weren't like the ups and downs about it, but just like every family, you have those aspects that are like, man, I probably could have done without that. But then also, you know, I was able to grow from it. So um, I was never the bigger one. So if anybody was ever hitting on somebody, it wasn't me hitting. It was me getting hit. Um, mm. And it was never like an abusive thing. It was just like the brother tussle type thing. So sure, um, was able to grow from every single aspect of it. And I consider it such a blessing to be from the family I'm from. Yeah, man. Amazing to hear. What was school like for you growing up? School for me was like and. Oh, what was it? Elementary, middle school, I was trying to figure out who I was, right? So I was kind of an outcast, uh, the black sheep of the family, because I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into barbecue. I wasn't into none of that. I was just like, eh, I'm good. So um, I would say in middle school, I really started chasing Jesus and got a part of my local youth group and really started to dive into that in my personal decision. That was me making the decision for myself, like, hey, I really enjoy this. I enjoy the community that I'm in, and I just want to pursue this. So I'd say around seventh grade, I really just felt this call, and God was like, dude, you're going to be a leader. Like, And I didn't know what that meant. I'd never led anything, you know? So uh, around eighth grade, I became the FCA president for my class. And then when I got into high school, I was FCA president, which was funny because it's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but I was not an athlete at all. So it was super fun getting to dive into that stuff and really just learning from a young age, like, okay, I don't have these typical aspirations. I don't want to be in the NFL. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But I always knew that I like to use my voice. And for me, like some people would say different, but it was never about the attention for me. It was just like, I didn't know how else to live life. It was like, I need to live life loud. I'm into all these bands like Skillet and Flyleaf, POD, um, just et cetera, around the faith-based market, Disciple. Um, and I know that there's something there. So I really just started like promoting these bands on my personal profiles and was like, Hey, y'all should check out red or this or that. And, but it didn't stop there. I ended up doing an internship with this organization called pulse out of Minneapolis. And so I was gone from high school a lot. Like the principal gave me the blessing to go and tour and not have those days counted against me as long as I stayed on top of my schoolwork and I ended up on Outcry 2015 with like um, Nick Hall was speaking and it was like Hillsong United, Crowder, uh, Bethel Music, Passion, Carrie uh, and Cody Carnes or Carrie Job, um, Trip Lee, DJ Promote, Lauren Daigle was the opener. Like this massive tour and I'm a senior in high school. Like I missed the first 30 days of high school. Everybody thought I dropped out and I'm like, would it be the smartest thing to drop out my senior year? I don't think so. So <laughs> But, you know, it was a very interesting time. And after that tour, I, I would say probably a few months after I started struggling with panic attacks. And the first panic attack I had that I talked about in the Ryan Reese show and death was like, okay, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama promoting this event and I'm not feeling okay. So I'm looking around. I can remember clear as day, like looking around the venue like, man, I just don't feel good. I don't feel right. And I've never felt this way. So 
of course I'm under 18. So I go to the EMTs. I'm like, do y'all have any like ibuprofen or anything? Cause it was before the age of like, Oh, I should probably carry this stuff around. Right. Yeah. And they're like, no, you're under 18. We can't give you anything. And I'm like, dang it. So I'm just walking around church of the Highlands in Birmingham and like trying to throw up outside, trying to throw up in the bathroom, trying to make myself feel better. I thought that would make me feel better and it just wasn't happening. So I tell the guy Jay I'm with and Pia Joe, I'm like, dude's so like, I'm not feeling good at all. So I went and laid in my car and to, Jay goes, is an anxiety because I was supposed to speak at, I think it was shorter university the next day, something like that. And I'm like, no, like it's not anxiety. I've never struggled with that. There's no way. And still I'm heaving in a bush, like trying to get whatever this is out. And it was a panic attack. And I didn't know that nor accept it for years after that. So from that moment, canceled every type of like promotion event for this event that I was promoting or interning for canceled all of it. And even went back to school. I went from being able to speak at an arena to not even wanting to give a presentation in front of my class of 20 people um, in a literary class. So like it was a very trying time for me. And I know that so many people out there, especially like middle high school, college, out of college, whatever. I never went to college. Like, so just as a human race, there's a lot of mental health issues that don't necessarily get spoken up about. And I fell into that category, into that statistic of what percentage won't admit they have a mental health issue. That was me because I was embarrassed because I'm from a tiny town. You don't talk about that stuff. You're weak. You're crazy, whatever. And so for three years, I neglected my calling, as I'll say, and worked for uh, selling cell phones at a retail store for three years, became the top sales rep in the Southeast, then like number one manager in the U S for this phone like company. And I hated my life. I was depressed. I bought my first house when I was 19, bought a new car on the outside. It looked like I was living the dream, bro. Like boys balling yeah. through here. I was a mess. I hated my life. I knew that there was something more to this life than just clocking in and clocking out and going home. So started going to therapy and was actually like after therapy, I was like, okay, I'm going to start making some videos and just put them out again. Like, because the first time I had been able to tour and such, it was from like doing little videos and putting them on Facebook and doing stuff in my community. And I'm like, okay, I don't want, I don't do it for the attention, but how can I shine a light on this? So I started making videos about anxiety and such and ended up getting a call from this dude named Aaron who was running a festival in California called Joshua Fest. And he's like, Hey dude, you want to come MC the festival? And it was going to be like thousands of people. It was like Crowder, Lecrae for King and Country. Like it was a, it was a big event. And yeah. I'm like, uh, no, I don't think I can do that. Uh, <laughs> so I prayed about it and prayed about it. And the girl I was dating at times, like you should probably like do that. You know, it's pretty amazing opportunity. So went to therapy and got on the plane, went and did it, and was puking behind the stage before I'd go up. But you know what? We did it. And I share that story in depth with the puking and all of it just because somebody out there needs to hear that, that it's okay yeah. to like feel that way. It's not okay to feel that way and not get help for it. But like a lot of people are struggling with this still to this mm. day. 
And mental health issues, especially if you're a guy, you don't talk about them because, oh, you're never going to be able to get married or this or that if you're being so emotional all the time. I'm here to tell you that some of the strongest people I've ever met have opened up about suicidal ideation, have opened up about depression, anxiety, all of these things that get shoved in a corner. And because it gets shoved in a corner and nobody really wants to talk about it, that's why you see so many negative things coming out of it. That's why you see people dying by suicide. That's why you see people ending up in a care facility for treatment because it's gotten so bad because we've been told not to talk about it. Where in the Bible does it say thou shalt not talketh about anxiety? Right. Mine actually says to shine a light on those dark things. So why are we not doing it? Why has it become a church-wide topic to like compress this stuff down. And it's beautiful to see over the past few years that so many churches and pastors have taken the initiative to talk about it, but we're still at the beginning of it. And it's still taboo, especially for guys to talk about this. And I'm like, for what reason? I must look like the most emotional person on the planet. And at this point, like I was talking to my best friend about this the other day. It's like, before I started talking about it in my tiny town, it was nobody would talk about it. And still to this day, like for years, people are like, oh, he's crazy. Like he's on medication. He's this, he's that. Yes, I am on medication. The Lord can use that to heal you. So yes. Yeah. And so many tiny towns all over the world and big towns. Like if you're living in New York city and you have a million followers on Instagram and you're flashing all these selfies and making it look like you have this huge community and people are like, oh, I love you. We live in the most connected time in history, yet we feel so alone. We're not having community right in front of us. Like Terry, you and I having this discussion and the people that are tuning in that we're discussing this for and with, that's not the same as having community where you're at. Am I saying to go jump and join a church if that's not what you want to do? Like probably, like you probably should do that because community is a huge thing for people but it's baby steps. Where do we start? For me, it was accepting that I had something that wasn't quite connecting in my brain and I needed something to help counterbalance that. Jesus, therapy, and medication were a very healthy thing for me. Is it going to work for everybody? Is it going to work the first time you go see a psychiatrist or a therapist? No, they might not be the right one, but you can't lose hope. God's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you just like he does for me. And none of our purposes are bigger or better than anyone else is out there. We have to realize that we're made so uniquely and so beautifully made by the God of this universe that there is a solution. And the solution is not taking your life. It's not beating people up who beat you up verbally while you were growing up. All the trauma that you experience, we see it, we hear it, we acknowledge it. Let's move forward. Let's address it exactly where we're at. It doesn't mean you call your mom and tell her all these terrible things that she did to you growing up or things that they didn't realize they were doing or your family. That's not how you address that. Seek a close friend, counselor, a youth pastor, a pastor. Have somebody to talk to it with that you really trust and know that will be there for you. And all of that, as long-winded as it might sound, the simple message is, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel as if this isn't normal. 
It's not okay to compress it. It's not okay to tell yourself that you're a mess and there's nothing that can heal you because I'm here to tell you that like in my life, Jesus therapy and medication and just having a community around me. And it may not be in your community. You may have to seek that out. That's been the biggest healing journey that I could ever tell. It's just like, okay, I'm going to grow from this. I'm not going to allow this to defeat me. I'm going to get my butt out of bed every single day that I'm feeling anxious like this. I'm going to go to that business meeting that I'm having so much anxiety about. I'm going to fly to California for that radio interview that you brought up that I'm anxious about. I'm either going to feel anxious in bed and not do something, or I'm going to feel anxious on that plane and then get there and realize, oh, God's got a plan for this and find the comfort and fight through the angst and the depression and all of the things because they don't own me. They're not my identity and I'm stronger than my symptoms. And I hope that people out there can realize the same thing for themselves and maybe use that as a tagline as I have to just like, I wasn't slapped in the face by Benny Hinn, fell off a stage and healed in one instance. Do I believe God can do that? Yes. Do I believe it's going to happen for everyone? As much as I'd like to, that's up to God. And I'm not him. I'm not the judge. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. And there are ways to fight this mental health epidemic. And I hope that my story is able to encourage other people to pursue the life that God's called them to through the anxiousness, through the depression, and to realize you can't say it's my anxiety, my depression. These are symptoms of something. Let's get to the bottom of it and let's press forward with our lives. Yeah, I I think I told you, Trevor, but I work as a marriage and family therapist. And that's what I always tell my clients is that don't say my depression, don't say my anxiety, say the depression, say the anxiety. It's a condition that you are fighting, but it's not who you are. Don't take that on as your identity because your identity is found first and foremost in Jesus Christ. That's so true. And it's so good that you bring it up as a counselor to be able to say that. Like people need to hear it. And the fact that you have this show as a platform to be able to tell people that, that shows the character that you carry, Terry. Like you carry, Terry. I like it. New show. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. It's huge. Like people need to hear this stuff. And unfortunately, like in today's political climate, economic climate, therapy to a lot of people is still very much, uh, uh, what do you call it? It's a luxury because it's expensive, but there are other ways to receive that help. Um, and just simple Google searches for mental health care in your area, they're sliding scale resources for people to be able to uh, be more affordable for everyone out there. And uh, there's this counselor I always bring up. Her name's Alexandra Thompson. Thompson. She's in the Atlanta area. And her vision is to see counseling centers in every single church in America. It's called Cumberland Counseling. And I find that so amazing. And there's so many people out there like yourself that are just like, we want these resources to be in every single person's hands. Just like every single person has a phone right now. We need to make sure that everyone is able to receive the care that they so well deserve. And I don't know what that looks like. And I don't claim to be the politician, pastor, or advocate to see that through. God calls me to it. Praise God. If he calls you to it or somebody listening to this, praise God. Run after it. But hopefully everyone can find some sort of care, whether it's 
just speaking with your pastor at your church, if you're in high school or college going to see a school counselor, like somebody out there wants to see you succeed. They do. And there's so many resources out there and it's still taboo to talk about it, unfortunately. So you don't see as many people advocating for it, but I do have a seeping belief that we're at that turning point in history where we'll be able to see more resources, more affordable care and more people just to be able to have that conversation to open up the like, maybe it's just like me, like Jesus therapy, medication, like all of these things were beneficial and helpful in my life. And they were all created by the God of the universe. And he loves each and every single one of us equally. And to take hold in that and to realize that their life matters and it's okay to feel that way, but we're going to press forward from it. Yeah. Amen, man. And like you said, I think we are kind of turning the tide with this and how I know that is I'm seeing more and more clients in like their 50s and 60s, sometimes even their 70s come to me first time ever in their life, come to counseling. And for all these years, they've been carrying trauma or depression or anxiety. And when they finally sit down and like get that out and express it, you can visibly see the relief that happens within their body. And you just kind of feel it within their soul that ah, I'm so glad I don't got to carry that anymore. And so I'm, I'm believing with you that we are turning the tide on that. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, is like, I heard this the other day, like when people discuss generational curses, they're speaking of trauma, <laughs> the trauma that your family has gone through, the trauma that you've gone through. That's it. Like, it's not a curse for say, it's only a curse if you allow it to keep happening. Like, yeah. let's all dive in, tackle this thing and see this generational curse broken for the rest of your family. It, Amen. It's, it's such a beautiful thing to realize, like, I'm not cursed. Like, no, you went through some trauma. Let's work through it together, you know? Yep. Yeah. The importance of accurately diagnosing the problem, right? We're not 100%. cursed. It's trauma. Yeah. And it's like when your AC goes out uh, in my family, at least it's like, all right, let's get three quotes, figure out what the best deal is. You know, the first time you go see a therapist, just because they're a therapist or a counselor or a psychiatrist doesn't mean they're the one for you. You can get inaccurately diagnosed for something like it happens. I was told that I had something at one point in my life and I did not. So I was on medication for the wrong thing and it didn't work. Wonder why? Like, homie yeah. didn't get it right. So you figure it out, you learn as you go and realize that like, okay, no matter how uncomfortable it is, if you show up and you're willing to show up and time and time again, AB tests this thing, as we say in the media world, you'll figure it out. Like it'll come yeah. and the right people will be providing your life. Uh, say a simple prayer, like get some recommendations from people that you know have gone through the exact same thing. DM me or Terry, like DM Ryan Reese, DM somebody like we can figure it out. It, it doesn't have to be a one and done thing, no matter how amazing that sounds like just to give everyone a heads up, like, Hey, get in it for the long haul. Healing is coming. Yeah. Good word, man. Good word. Backing up a little bit. You mentioned in seventh grade, that's when you really started to kind of press into Jesus. What was your faith like growing up? Like, were you raised in a Christian household? Yeah, I was raised in a Christian household, but in seventh grade is when I really like okay, I got into skillet like every other youth group kid. But John Cooper's message was just so impactful for me in hearing that like 
hey, they play the kind of music I like, the heavier stuff, not like metalcore like I'm into now, but it was a gateway. That's a gateway band. Yep. So it's <laughs> like, I heard the message, especially uh, the speech he would give before Awaken Alive is like, uh, there's a war going on for your soul. And that really hit me. And it's like, dang, like I didn't realize that. And I started to dive into scripture and devotionals and church life for myself. And I found community there. I found a place where I was accepted that I wasn't weird or taboo. And like, it, it really just hit home for me. And a lot of it had to do like, it's biblical to have your community around you, right? To be in these circles with like-minded people. And that was just so healing for me. And I had room to grow. Like I wasn't a theologian, still I'm not a theologian. So being around that church community, starting in like uh, sixth grade, going into seventh, when I really started to dive and hone into it, um, a new church was in town. It was called the Avenue. It was a part of Life Church um, TV with Craig Rochelle. So it was like a remote campus where they would have Craig Rochelle preaching from Oklahoma on a TV screen. We had our campus pastors, youth pastors, and such there. And I was like super into Apple. They were using Macs. Like I didn't have one. Like just all of these things. Like the youth pastor had tattoos and gauges. I was digging it, you know. So it was it was a good situation for me in that season and just the community that was around me. And I can't name them all off, but like, even to this day, I remember, uh, Miss Angela would bring like, uh, biscuits with like sausage and cheese, like just in them, like just little tiny things like that. And it was, it was so healing because it wasn't a certain age range. It was like from my age, even younger, all the way up into people in their sixties and seventies, um, who were willing to walk with you and talk with you and accept you for who you were and just want to love on you, man. Like, and even to this day, like I've never been able to find a church family as in depth as I had there. And mm -hmm. it was such a beautiful season and the people that I got to know and love, uh, were able to help mold me into the person that I am today. So whether you're in high school or you're in your sixties and retired, like, seek for that community because even to this day, I'm seeking for that community and hope and pray I'm able to find something that in depth one day, not like God mirror this, but just to have that community around me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then at 16, you said that you started to kind of struggle with mental health. You talked about that panic attack before you had that panic attack. Did you have any other kind of like warning signs, were you able to notice that, man, I may be struggling with some anxiety or I'm struggling with depression or did it just kind of hit you like a train, just like, whoa, what is happening here? Yeah. And that's such a good question because it's so different for everybody. Like I remember being like six or seven and just having like waking up, like from what I thought was a nightmare, just having crazy, like abnormal heart racing and running to my parents and them having to like, what the like, what's going on with this kid? And it ceased until I was around 16 and was about to graduate high school. And it was like, I didn't know what the next steps were for me. So like just all of this life change of no longer being in high school, didn't want to go to college, didn't feel called to go to college still to this day. Somebody's like, you ain't going to college? No, like I'm good. We good, homie. But it's, it's one of those things where I just, I realized that there were symptoms like when I was younger, but it literally came out of left field and it was just a lot of stress and pressure on me at that point that I didn't know how to combat. So I just compressed it until it finally exploded 
and became a whole thing. And with me not getting help for it, it just stirred out of control to where I was. When I got back home from Birmingham, I didn't do that college event the next day. I went straight home and stayed in bed for a week, a whole week out of Mm. school. And they're like, oh, he's sick. Like, yeah, I was sick, but mentally, not physically. Like I wasn't running a fever. And if I was, it was because of all the stress and such that was going on inside of me. And finally, my dad was like, get up, we're going to the lake and just get away. And I'm like, oh, I can't get up. And it's like, now you getting up, you getting up. And um, that was a turning point for me to like, okay, like I have to press on with life and having panic attacks every day and just having to fight through it. I remember being class president and giving a speech at graduation and they're like, no drinks on the field. And our like graduation robes were like always longer than your hands. So I snuck a, a, a chamomile tea onto the field. Cause I'm like, that was the one thing that I found like a piece of comfort in. Mm. I was like, if I'm giving this speech, I'm gonna have my tea, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> snuck that sucker on the field and nobody said anything. And I was able to give the speech and they told me not to, get rowdy and loud like I normally do. And during all the rehearsals and everything, you know, I did business as usual. But once we got out there and you had like a few thousand people out there, the energy was flowing. I'm a hype man, started yelling, look back at the dude that told me to not to do that. And he was laughing. So it was all good. Like, what you going to do? Expel me, bro. (laughs) So it's, it's, and I say that to like, if you're scared of like, or having anxiety about public speaking, like nine times out of 10, I'll have, like anxious feelings, like getting to the airport and such. But once I get there, I'm good. Like business usually let's roll. Like let's get rowdy, you know? Yeah. Where do you think your gift of public speaking came from? God, that's a Sunday school answer. Uh, (laughs) That was really outgoing, like abnormally outgoing. He was a salesman, like he owns an appliance company and such. So like I grew up, watching him sell things to people and I became a salesman in that way. And that's why I was so successful at retail sales. Like I could talk an Eskimo into buying some more ice, even if he has like unlimited amount, like that's just how I roll. And I would say like any evangelist or speaker, like make great salespeople just because like, it's one of those, it, it could come natural or you can learn it. But for me, it was just like, I like running my mouth. Hence the name Trevor talks. Like I don't shut up. So when it came to like public speaking and such, I don't claim to be the best speaker in the world. I don't claim to be the best podcaster in the world. I just simply talk. And if you want to listen, you can, if not cool, like praise God, hope it finds yeah. something that does. <laughs> You're right. Right. So Going back again a little bit, I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but hey, we're just letting the spirit guide this thing. You started interning with a place called Pulse based out of Minneapolis, and I'm in Minnesota. I'm familiar with Pulse, but to those who aren't familiar with Pulse, what is it? Pulse is led by a guy named Nick Hall, and he wrote this paper when he was in college, like, and it was called Pulse. And I don't know exactly what it said, but like the pulse of this generation is like for him going to be to hopefully help lead people to Christ. And he started as like a little small group and then you'll have to look up his testimony. It's crazy and I'm going to butcher it. But at some point or another, he maxed out his parents' credit cards to put on an event like and did this whole thing and just started a movement that started on his campus at a secular university in either North or South Dakota. I can't remember. But he has a book called Reset that kind of explains all of it. But 
he had this vision to have the largest Jesus gathering in American history on the National Mall on July 16th of uh, 2016, which is funny because as we're recording this, it's July 15th. So it's almost Ah. uh, however many years ago that was. And yeah, like they just want to see people led to Christ. So I heard him at Winter Jam two or three years in a row. And then they were like, hey, we're going to have reset reps. We want you to do this in your cities and whatever. And I just kind of took it and ran with it and made a promo video and started Reset SC, which was Reset Social Circle and started doing like small group prayer groups during the summer in my campus at Social Circle High School, yee yee. Um, And yeah, like we'd just meet up and pray and such and prayer walk our schools. And I remember being at work at my dad's store one day and I got a phone call from Jay, the same dude that was there when I had my first panic attack. And uh, he's like, hey dude, like we're doing this event at in minneapolis it's called national day of prayer francis chan's gonna be there carrie job like you want to come out and do some scripture reading like on stage before these guys and i'm like duh (laughs) like let's go (laughs) and so it started from just serving and not having any kind of expectations but pulse does these amazing events all over the world they've done ukraine uh they did they just did something at the Cotton Bowl in Texas, uh, which was going to be like an evangelistic outreach event for people that want to reach the next generation. So really like just going after it for the Lord. And he was on Outcry 2015. That's why I was out there. And yeah, like the dude's just on fire for Jesus and has a whole ministry team to back it up. So I was instantly impacted by his story and him being like, I remember Justin Bieber's song baby was huge at the time when I first heard him speak and he had a baby on the way. And right when he announced it on stage at winter jam, they started playing baby, baby, like <laughs> and just the relevance of like the way he was presenting the gospel was huge for me to hear. And it was inspiring. And I was like, I want to do that one day. So it all started from there and just kind of the long winded uh, elevator pitch for pulse. They ain't in it for the money they ain't in it for the fame. They are legitimately trying to reach this generation for Jesus. And I'm heavily influenced by the work that they do and am grateful that Nick chased his calling, which essentially inspired me to chase mine. Right. I mean, you talked about in seventh grade how you feel like God really kind of put that word leadership on you. And I really see that coming out during this time where, yeah, you became a Pulse rep and let's start, you know, Pulse SC and let's do prayer groups and prayer walks and everything. So that leadership quality, man, that was already starting to come out, obviously, you uh you were the class president, so that's leadership yeah. as well. And so God's opening up these doors for you, man. You know, you're speaking with Pulse, you're speaking at all these events, thousands of people. You have that panic attack, you say, Man, I'm just canceling everything. At what point did you recognize or identify that I need to get some help here? I believe it was twenty eighteen early 2018, the girl I was dating at the time who was a key like cornerstone and me going to therapy for the first time, she's like, you should probably go to therapy and like, just encourage me to do it. And having that person to support me to do it, like was a huge thing for me. Like that was the person God used to get me into therapy. And I realized like, okay, if I have these aspirations and I have this drive to do this, and mind you, when I was in high school, like I was doing the pep rallies, like hype man and everything, doing the morning announcements, 
So me having like a podcast and a brand now is not a surprise to anybody because it's not something that I woke up one day. I'm like, I want to get famous doing this. And I'm not famous, like never have come to be, but I just have a motor mouth and a vision and just want to, I, I can't wake up and do anything else. Like I wake up on a daily basis now and I'm like, you know, I own my agency. I'm working with a lot of really amazing artists that I grew up listening to. and. Like in that moment, it was like, okay, if I ever want to be able to do any of this that I've always wanted to do, and it's just something that God naturally laid on my heart, like use your motor mouth, bro. Like you like to yap, do it with purpose. I I realized like through a series of conversations with her that I was like, man, God's really using her to run this therapy thing into my brain. So I started going to a place and my town and was able to find that peace and healing through EDMR therapy at uh, uh, it's called living waters is the counseling center in Monroe. And my therapist there was just really, 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 really encouraging. And she was faith-based. It was exactly what I needed in that season. Just having the conversations going through previous trauma that I had gone through and things that I'd compressed over the years and was able to gain that confidence back that I needed to be able to do this now. And like I say, like I wasn't slapped in the face by Benny Hinn or Will Smith in 2022. <laughs> um, and I wasn't healed instantly from it. Yes, God can do that. Some people's story is exactly that. But for me, trial and error, trial and error, not giving up, realizing that I have to do this. Like I have to get over this. And the process wasn't easy and it's not easy, but I'm dedicated and willing to do everything possible. And whatever that looks like, if it's like going to therapy on a daily basis, like I'll just have to make it happen. But God's got a plan for everybody. He had that plan for me. And I'm just, even yesterday, I texted a friend. I'm like pinching myself. Like we started rolling out a record this week for a client that like I grew up listening to. And it's like, in what world does tiny Trevor from social circle get to roll out this record globally, like lead the creative team, lead the strategy, lead the marketing. It has to be God. It has to be God. And that's where I point people. It's like, it's not going to look the same for everybody. It's not going to look exactly like it does for me. And I don't claim to have all the answers, but God does. And even if I don't have like a direct answer for you, like if you're arguing with me about faith or something, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? We all have free will and that leads into things. Why does God allow this to happen? Why does he give us free will? Some people had free will to decide they were going to do something that negatively affected you and it sucks and it's terrible, but combat that. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, I do believe like that God has a purpose through all the pain that we experience. And for me, it's just sharing like, Hey, I don't have it all together. I'm not going to claim to have it all together, but you know what? I'm going to choose to fight for my sanity and my freedom. And that freedom that I have in Christ has essentially been what's kept me pushing forward to this day, 24 going on 25 years old and still out here trying to make an impact. So if 
anybody's listening and they're like, man, dude, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what the next step is. That's totally okay. You don't have to know the next step. Just be open. If God wants to lead you in a certain direction, that's completely the opposite of where you want to go. Just trust him in that. Yep. Comes down to faith. Comes down to faith and being obedient, right? You uh, a little while back mentioned the word trauma. That was the first time that that word I think came up in this interview. To whatever level you're comfortable, Trevor, what were some of that trauma that you went through that you did have to unpack with EMDR? I think it was mostly just things that was happening in my head that were traumatic, like having to live up to the expectations of like having state champion brothers and feeling like I would never measure up to that. Like it got so unhealthy for me that I went to like (laughs) a powerlifting gym for two years to break two national records in powerlifting, which I did for my age range and weight class, which I still hold those records. And I'm not a huge dude at all. Like (laughs) not at (laughs) all. Obviously a powerlifter, but I did. And I realized that that wasn't going to fix anything. So it's cool, but I use it more as a punchline for a joke now. Like, yeah, I'm a two-time national champion powerlifter, and people laugh, and then I'm like, and look up, and they'll show it on the screen, me with the medals and stuff. And they're like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> that's just, like, I tried to find earthly things to heal that, like, expectation that I felt like I had to meet in my head. And then, like, some people in my life saying things that were very negative about my path of using my voice and like, that's annoying. You shouldn't do that. Shut up. Like mute, (laughs) you know, shut up. And just all of those things I compressed in and they were locked in the back of my head and they caused insecurities and just feeling like I was not a good looking person or like just demeaning myself because I was so short and small and didn't weigh a ton. Can't gain weight to gain muscle bulk, all the things like, just a lot of things that I felt on the masculine card weren't working for me in my favor. Like I saw you had Chad Lale on from WWE, bro. Like that's a dude right there. Right. Amazing (laughs) man of God. I love that dude. Yeah. I don't fit that profile and that's okay. I know now, but at the time I was like, man, like there's just a ton of things wrong with me. And that was just me beating myself up. Like I never dated until I was out of high school because I was so insecure and never went to prom homecoming and I'd mask it with ministry stuff. Like, Oh, I'm going to be on tour. I don't need to do that. Blah, blah, blah. The only time I ever set foot in homecoming was because I was class president and was presenting an award to, um, a kid. Uh, his name was Chris and he was like, uh, he couldn't walk. Right. And like he was in special ed and, but he was the most encouraging, life-giving, loving person I'd ever met in my life. He'd come do the morning announcements with me. I, he would say the pledge every day. Um, and before that, like he wouldn't really talk that much. And he was able to build up the confidence to come say the pledge with me at graduation. Like I was able to give him, we made him like a WWE belt that had an SC on it. And like he was a champion, bro. That's the only time I set foot in homecoming. And, uh, yeah, all that was rooted from insecurity of feeling like I wasn't good enough to meet a certain profile, but that was most of the trauma in my life. Um, I almost drowned when I was like eight, but that wasn't really a thing for me. So it's not like these life altering moments for say, but then I've also had friends die by suicide and I've had to work through that process and they weren't just like friends from home. They were like world-renowned mental health advocates 
pastors and uh, that was completely out of left field and I had to heal from that. And I didn't realize like, okay, I finally found this person that listens to the same music as me, has tattoos, like dresses, like just fit the profile for a mentor. And then a few months after that, uh, getting the phone call, you know, that was pretty traumatizing. And I don't have all the answers. Like I say, like, why would God allow that to happen? Why would he allow someone to do that? And it's almost as if it's like a cancer, like you can't see it instantly, but it could be deteriorating. Uh, I think that's the right word on people's brains. And you just have to realize like it happens. We have free will and mental health has like these effects on people that where you don't necessarily know what you're doing at the time. So just a lot of things that had piled up that I hadn't sorted baggage with, if that makes sense. So I just had to unpack it all and realize that it's not my weight to carry. And I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no. And dude, I appreciate you being willing to talk about those vulnerable parts of your life because uh, on, on two fronts, one, you know, trauma, a lot of people think trauma is just like you get into a car accident or, you know, you go to war and, or, you know, it's just this one singular event and that's trauma when that's not necessarily the only way trauma happens. You know, like you said, trauma can be these uh, handful of things that happened to you throughout your life that if not dealt with, your brain just doesn't know how to process through and it's going to come out eventually, right? And usually not healthy ways. And so I, I love you talking about that. But then too, also just talking about kind of the the struggles of not fitting that perfect or uh, normal, I guess, image of this is what masculinity looks like, right? Because I mean, I can relate to that myself. I was never huge. I, I'm the least handyman. Anybody that knows me knows, Ooh. you know, I don't, I don't fit that mold either. You ain't worse than me. <laughs> I have, I had to have somebody come hang picture frames, bro. Like, I'm just not like, uh, got a measure and laser like this and make sure that no, nah, like I'm good, bro. Like I call Frank, Frank comes and does it. So. Dude, I am so blessed. I got my wife. Like she hangs my pictures. No hey. kidding. She installed a toilet in our bathroom, like all by herself. Like she, I'd be lost without her, dude. God Ooh. showed me a ton of favor with her. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's not me either. The most <laughs> handy thing I've ever installed with a toilet is a bidet. And it was one of those simple, easy ones. So, Hey, do that. Like you just turn the water off and hook this up and hook it to that. And you're done. Like cha-ching, like man card back, handy, yep. man, sophisticated. Got yep. It. Exactly. So no, I, I I love how you talked about that because I, I think that's a more common struggle that guys deal with that, like you said, we don't talk about because I, I think a number of reasons, like one, I think maybe pride in our ego. Two, I think just the fear of what are people going to think? You know, are people going to think I'm gay? Are people going to think I'm this or that? And it just can wreak havoc on 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 a guy and lead into some very unhealthy coping strategies with that. I know uh, for myself and even with a lot of the clients that I see, it tends to end up in pornography because that's where they find, you know, themselves feeling like, yeah, I'm a man. This, this is what men do. And so, and I, I think you might've talked about this with Ryan, but you know, Trev, what was that part of your life? Like as far as purity struggles with pornography, is that something that you struggled with? 
Yeah. So I was too insecure to go out and do the deed. Right. So I did mask it with pornography for years. Um, that was a big, 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 big struggle for me. And it was mostly because that was the only place I could really like, I guess, escape and find comfort or the fantasy of being accepted fully for who you are. So that was a lot, a lot of emotional baggage. And like we've discussed, like the whole toxic masculinity thing, I think is fed into that because we, we get fed this bogus statement of you've got to look this way, act this way, do this, do that. Like, homie, I was the first person in social circle to mind. I would just start wearing skinny jeans. Like when I came back from <laughs> outcry, like I was dressed like I'm in New York, as they would say. And like, eh, eh, like, yeah, like they, uh, they question your sexuality. They question this and like, who cares? Like, it's not your thing to who, like who cares? But in high school, that's your world. Like you want to be accepted by everybody, but it was never like I, looking back, I never had a struggle to be accepted. I fit into all friend groups, like the goth kids, the, uh, athletes, the outcasts, the like girls, like I get along with anybody. Like I didn't really, there was this one person I didn't get along with. That was her fault. And I, <laughs> uh, our, uh, class presidency race, uh, proved who had it, what it takes. You know what I'm saying? There but, you go. It was like I had all of these things that didn't fit that masculinity role, and it beat me up, bro. Like, it beat me up to the extreme to where I didn't even want to live at some point. So it was like, man, I just don't check any of these boxes. Like, this sucks. I suck. I hate my life. Eh. And it just was what it was. And now I know it's not true. And I hope that there's somebody out there that's needs to hear that. Like you're not alone. It feels like you're alone. It sure as heck does because everybody around you seems like they haven't made dude. Some of the most popular jockey people in your school are probably struggling with suicidal ideation and depression, anxiousness, not all of it, maybe, but somebody out there is struggling with it too. Yeah. And yeah, they need to hear that you're struggling with it. Some of the most unlikely friendships can be formed with you going out of your comfort zone. Be willing to have conversations with people. Somebody sitting alone at lunch, I'd get up and go sit with them. And it's not like a, here's a gold star for that. No, because a lot of people are too nervous about what other people think if they're going to go sit by that person, but they're a human being on their own. They deserve attention. They deserve love. I was talking to a homeless guy the other day in uh, Atlanta, random segue, like, he was trying to get people to stop. Nobody stopped. I stopped. And he's like, dude, I can't remember the last time. And I stopped and sat with him. And he's like, I can't remember the last time somebody treated me like a human. And I'm like, when do you think it was? He was like, another homeless dude gave me some fries earlier, like that he was done eating. <laughs> Broke my heart. Broke my heart. Was able to get to know the guy. And, um, you know, we had probably an hour and a half ordeal. Like my parents were always like, don't uh, go here, there, walk around people in Atlanta. Like, nah, dude, we walked to the Walgreens. We got something to eat, like whole nine yards. And I was able to hear this dude's story. And a lot of people that are homeless, like it starts from something. And for this guy, like there's this toxic trait that goes around. I'm not saying to go like put yourself in uncomfortable situations or such, but just be open to hear people's conversations because hearing his story 
was so healing for me because I was walking into a concert venue for a friend's show and he's just sitting there with his bike and the dude has such bad arthritis. He can't stand up for long periods of time and can barely get around and trucking around on a bike. Like I'm like, dude, why aren't you working? Like that was my first question. Like you, you're asking for money. Why can't you like, I asked these questions like point blank, but we can't lose that side of humanity that God's blessed us with. If we expect people to treat us like human, if homies over here just asking for uh, someone to listen, like you could save his life. I don't like somebody could be planning on jumping in front of a train for all we know. Yeah. Have some humanity, show some love, care for people. I'm not saying to put yourself in dangerous, dangerous situations, but I don't know. Like I think of that situation there of like, if I would have been like, Oh, I need to get in. Like show's going to start. I want to hang out, whatever, like, and not stop with this guy. I wouldn't have had the opportunity and the beautiful encounter that I had. And Michael's such a great dude. And I hope everybody gets to meet somebody a little like Michael, because I was encouraged by it. It wasn't a transactional thing. It was dude just wanted somebody to hear him and yeah, he was hungry. Like got him some food, but everybody needs to be treated like a human. And that touched my heart so much. And to relate it back to mental health and the conversation we're having, just because somebody's having an emotional day or freaking out or posts stupid stuff online doesn't mean you have to do what society makes you feel like you have to do and attack them. Like sliding their DMs like, hey, something going on. Can I be here for you in some way? You need to go get a bite to eat. I need to hop on a FaceTime if they're not in your state or whatever. Just treat people like humans. Um, there's a song that a band called Islander put out with a Lacey Sturm and it's called, it's not easy being human. So true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. It's not easy being a human, like getting bullied, um, having negative experiences. Some people have been sexually assaulted or harassed or almost murdered. Like, you don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know what your coworker or your classmate is coming to school after being treated a certain way at home. You don't know if they're getting bullied at school and at home. You don't know what people yeah. are going through. So just have yeah. a little more openness and humanity there. Man, I think that's a great challenge for us all. And it's really what it comes down to is just being Jesus, you know, show, being Jesus to others, showing people the love of Christ because that's what he's done for us. And it's too good to just keep to ourselves, right? And that that needs to pour out of us. And man, I mean, who knows if you'll ever see Michael again, but you probably made such an impact in his life that day that he's never going to forget that. And it, it just comes back down to just exemplifying Jesus. And you mentioned that with your mental health battle, Trevor, that Jesus therapy and medication has been kind of your recipe for uh, getting over that and, and, and persevering through that. I want to focus on the Jesus part. What was your walk with Jesus like when you were really in the troes of that battle? And how did you lean on your faith to get you through that? Such a good question. And of course, like I had my doubts at times and I had those instances where I had to push through it. But if we're being really honest, my faith was all I had. It was literally the cornerstone of that whole battle. And like I said, I had my doubts and I had my moments where I'm just like, man, bump this, you know. But 
really diving into the bolts of it all, like the anxiousness, the depression, the looking like I had it all together on the outside, it was it was all counterbalanced by that faith. And like, I know God wants to do something with my life and I know that he has a plan for me. I got to a point where I was so anxious at times when I would drive to a young adults group at church, I'd get to the parking lot and be having a panic attack and just go home, not even go in, go to eat. Literally was at a steakhouse in Atlanta with two friends who were engaged at the time. And ate a steak, ordered dessert before dessert got there, went to the bathroom, was heaving, having the whole thing. Like that was one of the crazy, crazy panic attacks. Slapped my Amex on the table and was like, I got to go. And no explanation, just left, left them sitting there mm-hmm. and sped home, going about 90 the whole way home. Should take an hour to get home. I got home in 30 minutes. <laughs> like dangerous situations, but it's real. It's things that have happened. And in those moments, I remember like for that instance in particular, I got home and I was still having that panic attack. And I finally texted Nick and Chelsea and was like, here's what went on. Here's, I'm sorry. Like, I know I left my card there. I'll get another one. (laughs) (laughs) Just, it makes you do such crazy things, but they were understanding. Like Chelsea had been through the ringer with mental health. It's, you do manic things. And in that season, my faith was my cornerstone and having mentors to walk alongside me. Uh, Josh and Lacey Sturm were big, 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 big help in that season. Uh, my mentor, Jennifer, and then my now business partner, Brian, like and his family, they were such cornerstone pieces for me and my spiritual parents, seen and Todd, like, and then my family and my friends around me, they didn't understand it at first, but eventually like they got to the point. And I've even seen the fruits of things that they were neglecting now, like receiving help for it. So it's always been faith that God had a particular purpose for all of this pain and trauma. And now like working alongside with the whosoever's and all of these people that are making these impacts on a big scale, it's just like, man, Sky's the limit. If you trust that God's got a purpose for your life and you chase it, I wouldn't put it past him that he'll do some pretty darn crazy things through little old you or big old you, whatever. Yeah, like You never know. It's not even about the rooms you're going to be in, the people you're going to talk to. It doesn't have to be like a, a famous thing. It's, it's just, wow. Like God's allowed me to do it. And I'm as normal as they get quote unquote, (laughs) who knows, like who knows. So my encouragement would just be if you're struggling with your faith and you're having those thoughts of doubt, just dive in deeper. I know when people would ask me when I was going that through, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. This, I I wasn't maybe start there, start with the basics and go get a hug, man. Like that'll work wonders. Share a smile. Even when you don't feel like it, talk to people, um, even when you're in a drive-thru or having your groceries rung up, talk to that person. You never know what kind of encounter you're missing out with just all this self-checkout and all that good stuff. And if it's only self-checkout, there's somebody monitoring it. I guarantee you they would love to be treated like a human because a lot of times they don't get that either. So yeah. just dive in, love on people, 
show some more humanity and trust that God has a plan for you. Yeah. And man, what what a plan God has displayed in your life so far. Like you said, from little social circle, Georgia, which I had never heard of before talking to you today to now, I mean, like you said, you're working with so many amazing people and influencers in, you know, in the Christian music in, industry uh, specifically, you know, like you said, Josh and Lacey Sturm and, um, you know, Skillet and all these people. And it's just amazing what God has done through you. Like you said, like if he can do it through you, he can do it through any of us. And so before we wrap up here, Trevor, like I mentioned at the beginning, you got Trevor Talks podcast. Talk to us about that. What's, what was the vision behind that? And what are you hoping that that podcast does for people? My name is Trevor and I love to talk. That's what Trevor Talks is. Um, man, we're about to hit our hundredth episode. And it went from me recording like on Zoom and my friend Steven's house. He re- he edited like the first 15 episodes. And then, um, yeah, like it's always been guest centered. So having people come on and share their stories and such. And uh, like the interview you brought up with Corey and Lacey, that was nuts. And like the 100th episode that'll be out is with Naomi Rain of Maverick City Music. And wow. it's probably like that's one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. But the whole purpose behind it is like whether you're hearing from Corey, Lacey, Michael W. Smith, John Cooper, uh, Naomi Rain, uh, the list goes on. Like all of these people that I'm interviewing, like all the way from actors and actresses to metalcore, like my favorite band, Memphis Mayfire, like having these artists on there. I made a list at the beginning of, I think it was 2020 when the pandemic shut everything down of like, okay, I want to have a podcast or I want to have a show and turn Trevor talks. It was already a thing, but it was more of like a blog and guest writing for outlets and such. I was like, here's a list I want to have. And we'll, to a year in, we had to like redo the list and we've just had to redo it again because like God keeps opening up these opportunities. It was never something that I planned on being like, somebody said that we're like uh, the premier podcast for faith and mental health or something like that, or, and especially in the rock genre of Christian music. I'm like, it was never supposed to be that in my eyes. It, it was just something fun to do. And like literally just me having that outlet to express these conversations and amplify voices that will encourage other people to keep walking in their faith or work through mental health. They're not, they don't all have to be Christian interviews. Like, uh, one of the guests that I really want to have on right now, his name's Caleb Shomo, and he's the lead singer for this band called Beartooth, not a Christian band, um, but he's got an amazing sobriety journey. Why can't we have that discussion? And yeah. it's always going to be a thing for me. So like, man, to answer your question, it just started off as like, okay, I've been through the season. I want to use my voice. I don't shut up. I love to have conversations. Let's have a new conversation every single week. So the hundredth episode is coming out. I think two weeks from when we're recording this August 2nd with Naomi rain. And yeah, like that's really where I send people because my media agency, transparent media, it's not really your, um, Hey, we're going to do this or that. It's more of like word of mouth working with artists, like in the music and entertainment industry. So like Trevor talks is the core focus for like, here's what I feel God is calling me to do and how to reach people. And I hope that everybody can have something like that, whether it's a, podcast or a social media blog, something 
Maybe it's actually being boots on the ground for Celebrate Recovery in your local church or starting a Bible study. Whatever that is for you, go out and do it. Trevor Talks isn't a gateway to getting famous, quote unquote, or doing anything other than just having conversations with real people about real topics and real stories. And again, like there's a little bit of everything in there. You've got all walks of life. And I don't I don't put like a here's our target guest. It's just like, dang, like they want to come. Like, all right, let's do it. Like, so we don't really have a formula for it. It's just like, if you enjoy it, keep listening. If not, hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was yeah. beneficial to you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a great podcast. Obviously, I've been listening to the episodes as I've been uh, prepping to do the interview with you and just encouraging. I mean, I think that's the word that comes to my mind when I think of your podcast. It just leaves people feeling encouraged. And congrats on hitting the 100 episode milestone, man. That's a that's a big deal. And uh, just goes to show the faithfulness of God in in your journey, in your story. And I think, yeah, final question, Trevor, looking back at your life. And I mean, you're you're young, but you've done a lot of life. You've been through a lot. When you reflect on the goodness of God through it all, what comes to mind? Man, you just made me want to break out and sing Goodness of God by Bethel. And then it is well, like, through it all. Like, um, yeah. So, <laughs> man. I think it comes in bits and pieces. And for me, like when I reflect on the goodness of God, I'm just like, dang, like through struggling with the pornography and struggling with accepting who God's created me to be through all of that, he's allowed me to keep coming back. And we look in the Bible and you see Saul and all of these people like doing these astronomically sinful things, but God still chose to use them. And so like battling with pornography and self image and doubting my calling, doubting my faith at times, like doubting all of the things like God's allowed me to keep coming back and allowing me to use my voice. And who am I to deserve that grace? Who are any of us to deserve that grace? And it's like, we're nobody, but to God, we're everything. So reflecting on the goodness of God in my life is just simply looking at like for me, like seeing the timeline that I've had in my life, being like, there's so many times where God should have just wrote me off, but he didn't. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And I'm nowhere near squeaky clean. We've all got our things that we deal with, but through it all, like the goodness of God is reflected through the fact that he chooses to continue to pick us up and help us carry on time and time again. So just encourage anybody out there that's listening to this. If you feel like God's written you off, he hasn't, he has a plan for you and uh, take it from a little old me. Like just keep chasing after it because he has freakishly amazing aspirations for each and every single one of us. And it's not going to look the same. There's no blueprint of success. So just trust him on that. Walk through it with some trusted mentors and quit wasting time. It's time to go. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. Trevor, man, God is using you in mighty ways. Keep doing your thing, man. I'm loving what you're doing. You are uh, a a voice of this generation, I believe. And I believe God's going to just continue to open up doors for you to share your story and to just share the goodness of God. Thank you so much, man, for coming on. I really enjoyed uh, our conversation and love to keep in touch with you. Dude, of course, Terry. And thank you for everybody that uh, tunes in to this podcast every single week, like 
this is amazing. I really love what you're doing and I'm super grateful for the warm welcome and all the kind words. It's greatly appreciated and I'm, I'm walking away encouraged. So thank you. All right. Be blessed, man. You too. Man, it was so neat getting to connect with Trevor, and I really believe that he is a David in our generation. He may only be 116 pounds soaking wet, like he said, but man, God's power is being displayed through Trevor's voice and his life. And I know that God is going to continue opening up all sorts of cool opportunities to show off through Trevor. Make sure to check out the Choose to Live Suicide Prevention stream on YouTube and check out the Trevor Talks podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. I'll link all that information in the show notes so it'll be easy for you guys to find. And if you guys have any questions for Trevor about his testimony, shoot me a DM, send me an email at twterrypod at gmail.com or use the hashtag AskTWT on the TWT social media pages. And folks, Testimonies with Terry is now on YouTube. Most episodes this season have been video recorded, and I'll be uploading them there so you guys can watch the interview as well. Past episodes of TWT have been uploaded to the channel also, so it's another way you guys can listen to the testimonies. Go check out the video version of Trevor's testimony and leave your questions for him in the comments section. Make sure to subscribe to the channel at TWTerryPod. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and if this podcast is blessing you, make sure to leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll be back next week with another testimony, so in the meantime, live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.